Sometimes I wish I could boldly go where no man's gone before. But I'll probably stay in Aurora. What are you thinking about? The question here is garbage. Who picks up this mess? Who picks up this mess? Or you're going to pick up the mess because you are a garbage man. Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? What is your name? Sir Robin of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is the capital of Assyria? I don't know that. Hi, Journey. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is week two in our new series called Tough Questions. And this week, we're going to be looking at prayer and specifically the question of how long should I keep praying? That was a really fun video for me because it brought two things into alignment for me. One is Star Trek and the other is Wayne's World. So I love that. First, there is one area in prayer that I actually feel like I'm really effective at. I have actually been successful in this. This might be the only area that I feel like I've been successful in prayer. And that was with my kids. We have four kids. And the order of, of, of it is girl, boy, boy, girl. We had girl, boy, boy, girl. And I prayed for every one of the, of the genders of my kids, and I got what I, what I prayed for. So I am batting a thousand in terms of the gender of my kids. And I looked that up this week. I thought, what are the odds that I could do that? It was 6%. There was a 6% chance that I would actually get all of, all of that right. And, and then in everything else in my life, I don't feel like I might not even be 50-50 in terms of success. In fact, as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I realized that Jesus wasn't even batting a thousand with this prayer. So, I, so there's something about prayer. If, we're, if God isn't answering our prayers the way that we are asking, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us because even Jesus prayed things that he didn't get. And one of the things that's been really fun this year for, for us is that all four of our kids are old enough now, our youngest is almost three, that, that we, they get to pray at the dinner table. So they like to pray at the dinner table. In fact, um, lately, our son Charlie, who's four, he has been wanting to pray at the dinner table, so he initiates the prayer, and he's like, okay, everybody, come on, mom, dad, get over here, we gotta pray, and, he, and we all hold hands, and, and Charlie, who kind of sounds like Elmo when he prays, he, we're all holding hands, and, and, and he's like, God, thank you for this food, thank you for everything, and everybody said, Amen. And he says that every time, and I'm like, good job, buddy. And you know what amen means? And, and, and he doesn't remember. And, and I'm like, it means I agree with that. And everybody, said, everybody agrees with that. And he's like, all right. So mom makes the food. Charlie thanks God for it, and then he doesn't eat it. So I don't know what that's about. But I bring up my children because I love them, but also because a lot of the time we get stuck praying like children. We pray prayers where, where, like, what happens when kids, what do kids ask for? They ask for things. They ask for everything. And a lot of the time, we get stuck praying prayers where we're just asking for stuff. God, I really need your help in this. They're not bad prayers. It's just, that's it. That's all we're praying. Or we might might sneak in a thank you, like you might have trained my kids good enough to tell me thank you. But really, those are the, the things. What would it, what would it, what does it look like? What does it mean if our relationship with God was like that. What if you had a relationship with someone 
where all you did was ask for things. That was it. That was the whole relationship. Hey, Bob, can I have this? And then occasionally you say, thank you. A lot of our relationships with God are like that. They're like relationships with the child because that's what children do. But God invites us to grow and mature in our prayer. And today we're going to learn how to do that by answering the question, how long should I keep praying? Now, the question, how long should I keep praying? That's a, that's a pretty mature Christian prayer because it means that you've been praying for something probably for a long time. Now, usually people ask me, how long should I keep praying? Because something really hard has come up in their life. Often if they're asking the question, how long should I keep praying? It's because they're in pain about something. Someone they love is sick. Maybe they just lost their job and they feel lost in their career and they they want some direction. How long do I keep praying for this? Or when do I just settle for life as it is? Or the big one I hear a lot is a lot of parents are worried about their kids falling off the rails. How long do I keep praying for this? Maybe there's something they're really worried about with someone they love. How long should I keep praying? It's an important question. Sounds important. Whether you're asking this question today or not, I invite you to listen, to take good notes, because even if it doesn't apply to you right now, it's applying to someone you know, and it could apply to you in the future. And I hope that you would be able to support someone you love if you're able to answer this question. The other thing, the other invitation that I'm going to invite you to is the same as Jesus' invitation because Jesus knew when we pray for something for a long time, he knew that we can get discouraged about prayer and he actually talked to the disciples about this. We see it in Luke 18. It says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then he goes and then he talks about the persistent widow and he, he's basically saying, you need to persist in your prayers like this widow that went to this judge and wanted justice. He wanted, she wanted justice and she was so persistent. She was so dogged in going to the judge that she got what she wanted and how much more does God love you? Be persistent in your prayers. He wants to give you what you pray for. But so his foundational answer, the one that we see Jesus say is how long should I keep praying? Continue praying. His answer is, keep on asking, keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. God loves you and hears your prayers. In fact, in Psalm 34, 18, it says, he is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close to the brokenhearted. He doesn't say he's sometimes close to the broken. He says he is close to the brokenhearted. Now, you might be in this place And you're asking, well, Brandon, if that's true, if God really wants to answer my prayers, then how come my prayers aren't being answered? How come I've prayed for change in my life and it hasn't taken place? I've prayed for this miracle and it hasn't been answered. It hasn't happened. And that's a legitimate question. And so I'm going to answer the question of how do we pray effective prayers? And we're going to be looking at that understanding prayer more, and then we get to the question of how long should I keep praying? So we're going to look at Matthew, where we see Jesus talking to the disciples, and he's laying out what we should pray. 
He's talking about prayer and he's saying, this is what prayer should look like. And it's the Lord's prayer. It's one of the richest sources that we have in the Bible about prayer and what prayer should look like. And it's, this, it's a model. It's not this, some, this uh, example, a test case, where we're supposed to repeat it, that we see Jesus do that and we just repeat it all the time. You can do that. In fact, you might have grown up in a church like I did where we repeated the Lord's Prayer every week and it became this rote thing. Now, it can be good if you're considering it for, for the richness that it is, but a lot of us, we just look over that. And so what we're gonna do is dive into this model for prayer that Jesus gave us. Martin Luther wrote, in one of his works on prayer, he talked about the Lord's Prayer. He said, how many pray the Lord's Prayer several thousand times in the course of a year? And if they were to keep on doing so for a thousand years, they would not have really prayed or tasted it at all. In a word, the Lord's Prayer is the greatest martyr on earth. Everybody tortures it and abuses it. Few take comfort and joy in its proper use. So what he's saying is that the Lord's Prayer is this incredibly rich thing. It's like we're on a hike and we hike by this mine and we see this mine and we know that it's filled with gold and jewels, but we don't know how to get into it and we don't know how to get the gold and the jewels out. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how do we get effective prayers? How do we pray effectively and then we'll not only be able to pray correctly and effectively, but we'll be praying the right things. And it also will help us answer the question of how long should I keep praying? Should I stop praying about this? Or maybe should my prayer change? So let's look at Matthew at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. So that's what you shouldn't do. And then he goes in to what you should do. Pray this way. Here's a model. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he says to the disciples, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. First in this, Jesus is telling us what to do. These are the things, what to do and what not to do. They're prerequisites for prayer. That's the first part of this message that he has for the disciples and for us. The second part is how to pray. This is how you should pray. And we're going to break that down and see how that applies to all prayer. And then the third part about forgiveness applies to the whole thing and brings it all together. So the first thing in that is your first goal in prayer is to know God for himself. Jesus is saying, know God as the Father. 
He says, don't pray like hypocrites who love to pray in public. In verse five and six, he's talking about hypocrites. What's he talking about there? Here's what it's about. He says, Jesus is saying, you might be praying these things because you genuinely care and you want to pray for them. But you also might be praying so that you'll be seen by others. And you might be praying because you're self-righteous. Does that make sense? How do you know if you're doing this? How do you know if you're praying and and it's self-righteous, it's not healthy? Well, there's a really simple litmus test that Jesus clues us into here. He says, spend time alone in secret. He says, go into a room, shut the door, and pray to your heavenly Father. He's saying, Praying alone is when we get to know God. Now, in where I, when I grew up, we called this quiet time. Now, if you've never heard of the term quiet time, that's what Jesus is talking about here, going alone and praying. Now, quiet time uh, kind of sounds like punishment a little bit. It kind of sounds like Jesus wants you to go in a time out. But really, quiet time, if you've done it and you, and you know it, is awesome. I mean, it's about the most challenging, greatest thing, being with the Lord, focusing on being with the Lord and who God is, it is transformational. Now, praying with and for others in community, that's important. He's not saying don't pray with others, but he's saying that the most important thing you can do in prayer is to be able to know that you are praying alone to the Father. The second thing you need to have before you pray. First, you pray alone, and that's how you know if you're being hypocritical. If you're, if you're not praying alone, there, there might be something missing. The second thing is, you have to know that you have a relationship with God based on grace, not your performance. Notice in verse seven and eight on your notes page that Jesus talks about not babbling. He says, don't babble. The Greek word there actually means intense petition. It says, they think they'll be heard because of their intense praying. It's about performance. See, we get caught up in this idea that if we pray intensely enough, we pray right, if we pray for long enough, then that's what's going to get God to respond to us. It's about performance. If I do this right, this is what I get. Jesus says, I don't want you to have a relationship with God that's based on performance like that. He says, I want you to have a relationship with God that's based on the fact that God is the Father. He wants to know that God is, he wants you to know that God is this unconditionally loving Father and that he's not your boss. And you don't have a relationship with him based on performance, that he's not the judge. In order to have prayer like that, you have to know that God is the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying prayer won't work unless you know know that the Lord of the universe, that the creator of all things loves you like a father. Until you know your relationship with him is based on grace and not performance, you can't pray the way Jesus teaches us. And when Jesus said our father, he's not saying that we should measure God by the standard, standard of earthly fathers. He's saying let's make God the standard for all earthly fathers. He's not saying, let's measure human fathers. He's not saying, let's measure God by the standard of human fathers. He's saying, let's measure human fathers by the standard of God. 
Now, if you're a dad, this is a reminder for all of us dads that there is no way we're going to live up to that. It reminds us that we are saved by grace alone because I am not as good of a father as God. God is the father that we've all longed for, whether we've had a good father or a bad one. And how do we know if we have a bad father? Usually if we have a bad father, we figure out that that's a bad father because we see what a good father is. We know what a good father is. And and that's just a worldly example. And then we have God's example of being a good father to know what a good father is. So he says, say, start your prayers as God, Father God. Then we, so overall we see from verses five through eight that Jesus is laying out two approaches to prayer. The first one is the bad technique. Don't do this. These are like prerequisites. The, the, <clears throat> the second one is Jesus is praying that to be effective in prayer, to have prayer that God hears, it needs to be based on the idea that God is a God of grace. And it's the opposite of taking power. It's the opposite of saying, I'm going to pray this way in order to get this from God. It's giving up and trusting God and surrendering to him and treating him as the father and putting yourself in his loving arms. Instead of holding tightly to the thing you're praying about, you gradually open your hands and surrender. That's why we do that at worship. That's why we see people surrendering, doing these forms of surrender in worship is because they're recognizing, I need to approach you, God, as a father because that's what Jesus tells me to do. That's what prayer is. That's what worship is. So Jesus is saying, in order to know him, you need to know he's your father and you're in a relationship with him based on grace and not performance. And then the, the last thing that he says in this first part is you need to be forgiving. And I said it this way. You need to have good relationships with other people who have wronged you. You need to be forgiving as much as it depends on you. Now that doesn't mean that you go into an abusive relationship. That's not what I'm saying. But as much as it depends on you, you need to forgive that person. As much as it depends on you. See, Jesus says, if you can't pray like this, you can't forgive, then you're not gonna have a relationship with God. See, love and forgiveness, they go together. Love and unforgiveness are mutually exclusive. You, they're like oil and water. You can't have love and God's love in your life if you have not forgiven people who've wronged you. Jesus says, if you don't forgive your neighbor, your father won't forgive your sins. He won't even be able to forgive your sins because you're holding on to this unforgiveness. So you can't possibly look at a person that's wronged you and refuse to forgive that person unless deep down, and you've heard me say this before, unless deep down you actually feel superior to them. And the way that looks is we say, I would never do that. I hear that all the time. I would never do what that person did to me. And the, the key in Christianity and what Jesus is saying is that we are all in a position that, and you hear this around Journey all the time. We say, I am one or two bad decisions away from ending up in jail. I'm one or two bad decisions away from ruining that relationship. And what she did to me, what he did to me, I am not better. 
I could have done that. And when you realize that, forgiveness flows much, much more easily. But if you don't have the right attitude with God, if you don't have that forgiving attitude towards others, you've blocked your relationship with him. So that's the first part Jesus talks to us about prayer. You have to want to know God rather than control God. It's not about performance. You have to know that God is your father and he has unconditional love and and your relationship is about grace. And then this third sign needs to be that you're in this mode of surrender and trust and grace in the relationship. And the way you know that is if you're forgiving those who've wronged you. Those are just the prerequisites to praying that God talks about. Then he gets into the actual prayer, this model for all of our prayers. And I I find this very helpful. It's these four A's that you actually learn in order. They're adoring, accepting, asking, and adhering. Those are the four A's of the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to walk through those today. The first, and they happen, and you want to apply these in order when you pray also, and you'll see why. So the first one is adoring. Hallowed be your name. As a worship leader and a worship pastor, I could spend the whole service, we just talk about adoring. And Jesus says in this example that adoring God, praising him, saying who he is, that's actually 50% of Jesus' prayer is adoring God. You see that he says, exalt God. Jesus is saying the primary goal of our prayer, the first priority, is, isn't our needs. It's, it's adoring God. So that should be in our prayers. Again, we go back to the prayers of children. Am I, am I just asking for something and saying thank you? No, Jesus says that 50% of your prayer should be adoring God. When we prayed earlier during the worship, that was, what, that was what we did. We heard Alex pray, God, you are good, and you, you think all of these ways, and he exalted God in that. And that's what we do during the majority of our worship is we're exalting God. And when we do that, when we adore God, it transforms our heart. When you pray like this, you begin to feel what's actually true. What's actually true about you is that you are powerless to do anything other than be obedient to God's command and trust that God will work and move and be mighty. And that makes you pray. Or you say it this way, the more confident you are in you, the less you will pray. The more confident you are in you, the less you will pray. And the more confident you are in God, the more you will pray. Think about it this way. If you could go back and just list out what the Bible says God is. The Bible says God is our father, that he loves us. He's a friend, a healer, a physician, a helper, a shepherd, a king, a savior, a Lord. He's our Lord. He's our counselor. He's our father. This is our God. Despite the expanse of the cosmos and the noise of the universe and everything that's happening, it takes only one of his children, only one of us to think father for his full attention to be dialed in on his child. 
See, the Bible calls us beloved sons and daughters. Have you ever heard God speak to you and say, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter? It's the most important thing you'll hear God say to you because that's who you are. We are his beloved sons and daughters and we adore him for who he is. The second thing after adoring is accepting. We all wanna say, okay, I praised him, I adored him, now give me my daily bread. But there's something in, in, in between, in the middle. Do you see it in there on your notes page? That something is thy will be done. Thy will be done is surrender. Do you know and, and are you surrendering in your prayers? So what does that mean, thy will be done? What is Jesus talking about? Well, it's like you're a child and remembering if he's the father, what are you? The child. And I have a four-year-old, Charlie's four. And if Charlie comes up to me and asks me for something, which is what he does 90% of the time, right? Getting through mealtime where they don't ask for five more things and you can actually sit down, it's ridiculous. But, Jesus, but uh, Charlie will ask for something and then, and, and I may or may not give it to him. You know, he might ask for this and I'm like, no, Charlie, because you'll electrocute yourself. <laughs> or you'll ask for something else, I'm like, nope, you're just gonna cut your sister, you could kill her. <laughs> you know, or no, you can't do that because you'll fall off the roof. You know, this is, and, and he's four, and next year I'm going to turn 40. So we have a four-year-old son asking his 40-year-old dad, and yet we often don't approach God in that way. But that's what he's saying. God's the father, and I'm the child. And there are legitimate reasons why I do not say yes to everything that Charlie asks for. And, and we need to approach God in that way and recognize that we're the child and God is the Father, and He just knows what's good for us, and He loves us even more than I love Charlie. He loves us. See, if every prayer that you instant that you prayed was instantly answered and God said yes, two things would happen. First, prayer would become a weapon of destruction in your life. You don't like what's happening in the recent election? You don't like that candidate? Pray that God would take them out and they're out of there. Weapon of destruction. You don't like that person? They just cut you off on the road? Kill them. Prayer, <laughs> that's one of the things that can go wrong with prayer. The second one is if every prayer you prayed was instantly answered, you would never think about God and who he is because God would become a vending machine to you. You would go up to God and you'd pray the prayer and you're like, God, here's my prayer. Give me the candy. But part of the point of prayer is that you approach God and exalt him for, for who he is. And when you go to a vending machine, you're not thinking how great that vending machine is and how awesome it is. You're thinking, give me candy and all, that's all you care about is the blessing. But God wants you to think about the blesser. He doesn't want you to just think about the results. He wants you to think about how good he is. He wants you to exalt him and he wants you to be transformed in your heart. And that's why he approaches, he wants us to approach him in this way. That's why Jesus has that example. So do you see what Jesus is inviting us to? He's saying, lay down this horrible crushing burden of thinking that you know 
what you need. And get in touch with the fact that he's the father and you're the child. You're his beloved child. He loves you unconditionally. It's not about performance. So when we do that, we are being changed. You're not taking power for yourself. You're giving power up to God. And you're lining your life up with the God of love. You're going to be a happier person when you're doing that. You're going to be a less worried person. You're going to be a much, much less angrier person, more patient. You'll be less fearful. Prayer will change you. So first is adoring. The second is accepting. And the third is asking. So this is where we usually jump to is the asking part. And Jesus talks about two things that we ask for. The first one is, thy kingdom come. So what's the kingdom? God says that the kingdom, so we understand that the kingdom is God healing literally everything spiritually and physically in the world. The world is broken. There are broken, messed up things happening. They have since the fall. And that God's kingdom is him healing it all physically and spiritually, back to himself. That's already started with Christ and it's gonna continue until the end of time when Christ returns. So the kingdom come, when we pray that, it means we're praying against injustice. We're praying against hunger, all the things that are wrong with the world. Disease, we're praying against it. We're praying against violence. We're praying for peace. And prayer is far, far more of an invitation than a command. It's an invitation to be a part of what God's doing. We see this in Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's all about us and our role in God's kingdom. We are prepared for this, to be a part of it. He's inviting us into leading and helping build his kingdom. So you should be picking up on this if you've been around Journey for any amount of time that we want to be about this and that we will be about this, leading people to radical love and action like Jesus. This, we want to be about God's redemption of the world. He's saved us. He's called us to himself. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. He's enabled us to walk in the power of Holy Spirit not just for this ever-increasing comfort and joy in our life, which is good, it's a byproduct, but ultimately it's for God's glory and his mission in the world. So we're gonna be about God's radical love and action around journey. We want our lives to line up with the mission of God to reach our neighbors and love them as ourselves, to be more about love like God calls us to be and to be more like him in his character. And that's what the prayers of the New Testament look like. If you look at the New Testament prayers, it's fun. I did that this week. I, I found a book that talked about that, a John Piper book. And I made this, I had this card made. Logan hooked me up. And it's got 35 prayers of the New Testament. And I put it on the info table if you'd like to pick that up. And the prayers are primarily about the mission of God. That's what they were praying in the New Testament church. If our heart is lined up with God, 
This is what our prayers will look like. Thy kingdom come. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay, so that's the first thing he asked for. The second thing we asked for is my daily bread. He says, my daily bread. This is a reference to manna from the Old Testament when the Jews were in the desert. God provided for them manna every day. Every single day. And he, he, did, he didn't provide, it wasn't like a lot of time people maybe haven't read it or noticed, he didn't provide like a loaf of bread. He provided this seed, this manna, and then they made bread every single day. And then at the next day, it was gone. And so you had to, you could only have the amount that you had each day. They even did it with birds one day, but it only lasted one day. And so Jesus is referencing that when he says our daily bread. He doesn't say our weekly bread. He doesn't say, give me a year's worth of bread, Jesus. He says, my daily bread. And so you're going to say, well, how does that apply to us? Christians are supposed to be people who are generous. Jesus is saying, we are called to be generous. And so we want to be so generous and so giving that we have to pray every day, Lord, keep that income coming because I need it. That's what Jesus is saying. Pray for our daily bread because we should be living lives where we need to be praying that God, you need to keep that income coming because I'm being so generous with my life and for your kingdom and loving others that I need you to keep that income coming. We're not supposed to have stored up so much in our lives that we say, hey, who needs God for the next few years because I I got it covered. We're We're giving so generously that we are asking for our daily bread. That's why uncommon generosity is one of our core values at Journey. Jesus is good news to the poor. People ask, why is Jesus good news to the poor? Jesus is good news to the poor because he created a community of people who actually trust God so much that we are generous to the point where we have to ask for our daily bread. Now that's a whole sermon series in itself, but do you see what's happening You're becoming the kind of person, when you follow Jesus' example here of prayer, you're becoming the kind of person who trusts God so much that he's your father and you want to be a part of his kingdom work and you want to be part of his helping people and you give so much and you want to be generous that you have to depend on him constantly to keep bringing in that income. So when we pray, we adore God for who he is. Jesus says, we accept God for who he is, remembering that we're not him, we're his child, and he's the good father, and that he knows what is right. Before we even ask it, Jesus says he knows our prayers. And then we ask God for kingdom, his kingdom to come, and for our daily bread. And then the fourth one is adhering. You're like, adhering? Adhering is the last part of the prayer. It doesn't mean gimme. It's not asking for something. It's saying, make me someone. Saying, God, make me a certain kind of person. And that kind of person is the kind of person who walks around and thinks of themselves as a forgiven debtor. Jesus saying, think of yourself as a forgiven debtor. And if you think that way, you can't get get on your high horse around people who wrong you. You can't get on your high horse around people who wrong you because you're a debtor. You're, you 
can sin. You are just one or two bad decisions away from making a, that bad decision. You're not above them. You're a debtor. And he's saying, you also can't hate yourself because you're only one or two bad decisions away from that because you're forgiven and you're a beloved child of God. So this forgiven debtor, it's this balance, this humble approach where you feel humbled because you know who you are and what you're capable of, but you also feel empowered because of what God has done and who he's made you to be. And we're not supposed to ever leave that place. That's not something that we leave behind once we figure it out. We just stick it on the shelf. We carry that with us every day. Jesus says, when you pray, ask him to forgive our sins as those who've forgiven uh, uh, and forgive those, forgive our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. The second thing about adhering is make me the kind of person so when I go into temptation, when I come up against the evil one, that I decide to lean on you, God. I want to lean on you. Don't let me lean on myself. And what do we do most of the time? We cope. We cope with things going wrong in our lives. So how do we cope? Well, sometimes it might be we eat something. I'm just gonna eat, that's my coping mechanism. That's one of my, that is one of my coping mechanisms for sure. Eating. Another one might be we look at something that we know we shouldn't. And what does it do? It makes us feel disconnected. Or it makes us feel like a sense of power, excitement that we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing. And, and that's our coping mechanism. Or maybe it's spending time with someone that we shouldn't be spending time with. We know it's not good or healthy. Or the big one that I see a lot is we just hope it's gonna go away. We just ignore it. I'm just gonna ignore this problem and hope it'll fix itself. And we, rather than going to God and bringing it to him or choosing community, that's what the church is for. See, that's what Adam and Eve did when they first sinned. What did they do? They hid from God. We hide. We ignore it. We don't choose community. We don't choose to talk to God about it. We don't choose to talk to others about it. But what Jesus calls us to is to confess our sins, to go and talk to someone about it, to bring it before God and recognize that he's the healer, he's the helper, he's our loving father. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. He's also pointing towards the crucifixion here. In this prayer, they don't know that's going to happen, but Jesus is pointing towards the crucifixion and saying, and we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, I don't want to go to the cross. Let this cup pass for me. He says, but my will, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is surrendering to God in the midst of his prayer. That's how we have the power to surrender to God. Because we know that Jesus came down and in the midst of his trial, he surrendered to God. He said, I, this is hard, God. I, I wish anything, I wish life could go any other way but this, but I surrender to your will. I know that your will is good. Jesus had to pray. He came down. We're the only faith that believes in a God that came down and set himself aside weak, and that he was weak so that he had to pray to the Father, thy will be done. We know he was down here. We, knows, we know that he knows what it's like and he had to pray. And so that we know 
If he could do that in that great trial, then we can surrender in our trials. And we remember that. Now to the question of how long should I keep praying? Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can stop praying just because you get discouraged. It doesn't say that. You can't stop praying just because you're discouraged, just because you want to quit. Jesus knew that we would get discouraged. He knew there are times when we want to quit. Sometimes that's because it hasn't happened on our timetable. We haven't gotten what we prayed for on our timetable. Maybe we've been praying for this miracle and it hasn't happened. Or we've been praying for this healing and it hasn't happened. What I'm asking for hasn't happened. Maybe we've been praying for a partner and the Bible doesn't say you can just stop because you get discouraged. It doesn't say that. Jesus encourages us to keep praying, keep coming to God with that. He says, keep knocking, keep asking. The Lord hears you. The Lord answers your prayers. He actually knows what you're praying before you even say the words. And he says, if you're in so much pain and you don't know what the words are, that the Holy Spirit actually prays for you. The Holy Spirit's with you and prays for you in your groaning. It's pretty amazing. But you say, Brandon, is there ever a time I can actually stop praying about an issue? And yes, the answer is yes. But first, you want to do a self-check. Are you holding it to yourself? Are you only praying it by yourself? Or have you brought it to some Christian community? Have you talked to someone else? And have you invited them into praying for that? That's why one of the reasons we have missional communities is we want to be on mission for God and we need other people to do that with. That's also why we have life transformation groups that we invite everyone to do. That's just meeting with one or two other people and praying about those exact things that Jesus is talking about. That's the model for life transformation groups. We're praying, we're confessing, we're praying for one another and we're praying for God's kingdom. That it's, it's actually simple, but it's making it a priority and building it into your life in a rhythm. Now, if you, you can have those two things, but we also invite you, and those will help a lot. We also invite you in the uh, around journey to go to one of the pastors to grab one of the info cards and fill that out because we want to walk with you and pray with you about whatever it is that's coming up. So use that. Use, use the resources that you have here at Journey so we can pray with you and come alongside you. And if you're lining up with all those things, if you're lining up with God's kingdom, your prayer for daily bread and not a year's worth, very likely the invitation is to keep praying because God transforms us and changes us when we pray. Jesus himself urges the disciples to keep praying. But if all that's true, and you're still asking, how long should I keep praying? There are three questions to help us discern whether to stop praying or to change our prayers. And here we go. The first question is, are you trusting God in your prayer? Do you trust God in your prayer? Are you praying as if God is going to answer your prayer? He promises he will, but it may not happen on your timetable. This has been happening to me. I realized I've been praying for something for about five months, and about Two weeks ago, I realized I wasn't praying for it as if I expected God would answer it. I wasn't trusting God that he was gonna answer it. Are you praying with that expectation? Two, has the situation changed? When God changes the situation, you can stop praying. 
In other words, he answers your request. Maybe it's a yes, maybe it's a no, but the situation's changed that you've been praying for, and then obviously you can stop praying for it. And the third question is, have you changed? When God changes me, I can stop praying. Sometimes, as God grows you and develops you, all of a sudden you realize you don't want to pray for that anymore. And the reason is because God's matured you. You wanted that in a more immature stage of life, and God's matured you, and you're saying to yourself, I don't need to pray for that anymore. Then God says, it's okay to stop praying because God didn't change the situation. He changed you. Are you trusting God in your prayers? Are you praying as if God is going to answer your prayer? You have that expectation. He promises he will. But it may not happen on your timetable. Are you praying with the expectation that it'll happen? Knowing that God is the giver of good gifts and that God ultimately loves you as beloved son or daughter. Now we have a team of people around Journey after every worship gathering. And they're here. They're our connection team. And they're in the back. They have yellow lanyards or they're at a, and they're at a yellow table. And their desire is to support you. Now, you don't have to go. It might just be a discussion you have with them. You might just introduce yourself to them today and say, Hi, my name is Sarah. And you, you say, I just wanted to introduce myself to you today. But what they're here for is to support and pray for us, to talk with us, to talk with each of us. So you can have someone to talk to right away. Jesus is inviting us to go to him, to go to God, to search our hearts as we do that and be transformed. Let's pray. God, thank you for being near the brokenhearted, for being the good father. Thank you for this model of prayer so we know how to pray effectively like Jesus. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done, and we pray that you prepare us so you can use our lives to be a part of your redemption and healing in the world. Thank you for praying this community of the church, for giving us this community, God. And I pray that each of us puts a stake in the ground this week to make you a bigger part of our life. And I pray for those of us asking, how long should I keep praying? That they would know that you're with us, that you love us, and you're working everything in our lives for the good. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information, or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.